Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, uh, let's pick up reading. I want to just make one note here. It's, it talks a little bit there in the first two verses, and it says, but Jesus, in verse 4, needed to go. He needed to go through, someone say, Samaria. I'll explain the significance of that in just a moment here. And he came to a certain city called Sychar near the plot of ground that was Jacob, uh, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well, his well was there, and Jesus was therefore there being a little bit worn out from his journey. He sat by the well. He sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman, say with me, a it's National Women's, I think, Appreciation Day. My wife is the greatest woman I've ever met right there in the front row. Woman at the well, and it says that not only was she a woman, not only a Samaritan woman, but she was sitting, she was there, and uh, Jesus came to draw water, and he said to the woman, give me a drink. His disciples had all gone away into the city, and then the woman in Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman? Jews have no no interactions with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing, you have nothing. Isn't it funny how you can insult God by, by in your dysfunctional life and you're making an accusation that you have nothing to offer me? Such a cool, it's, a, it's an amazing story. She goes, you have nothing to draw with. How in the world are you going to get this water? If the well is deep, where are you going to get this living water? And are you greater than my father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as his sons and his livestock? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks this water will eventually get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I offer will actually never get thirsty ever again. Because the water that I shall give him will actually become in him a fountain, a well, a water spring that will bubble up into him into everlasting life. She's like, sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst. I don't want to come back to this well anymore. And Jesus said to her, go, okay, go, go grab your husband and come on back here. She pauses. I, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, that's a good answer. You don't have a husband. You've actually had, this is where it gets a little crazy, you had five husbands. And the guy you're shacked up with right now is not your husband. In that, you were being pretty honest. And the woman said to her, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Those funny scriptures in the Bible. Someone tells you you've been married, divorced five times, live with number six. And you said, bring your husband. I don't have a husband. You're like, yeah, you had five. And now you're with number six. And she's like, I perceive that you're a prophet. Praise the Lord. And then she gets really spiritual. She changes the subject. God starts to give one of the greatest explanations of worship to one of the individuals on the earth that probably needs to to, to know the lesson of worship the most. And after they go this segue, we pick up reading in verse 20, 20, um, Seven, and it says at this point uh, that Jesus' disciples come back and they're, they're marveling that he's talking to a female, and yet no one asked him, why are you talking to her? What do you seek? What, do you, what are you asking her about? And the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men in Samaria, come, in, to the what? To the men? To the men of Samaria, come see a man who told me all things that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came to him. 
And in the following verses, in verse 39, it says, Many people in the city of Samaria believed because of the word of the woman and because she, she told him, he's told me everything that I've ever done. And the Samaritans that came out there actually had him stay for two extra days. And now many other people believe, not just because of what the woman said, but because they said, we've heard for ourselves, and we know that indeed this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. That was a lot of Bible. Is that all right? I want to talk to you today, if it's all right, about living Living on your assignment, living on your assignment, living on your assignment, on your assignment. I want to pray this morning. God, I just thank you uh, for first service. I thank you for time change, spring forward. I know it's always painful the first week that we do it, but God, we're grateful for longer days, for more sunshine and more light. I pray that, God, this will be the greatest springtime of all, everyone, every individual in this room, let it be the greatest springtime collectively of all of our lives. I pray that our families would blossom. I pray our marriages would blossom. I pray our businesses would blossom. And Lord, I pray you continue to blossom Oceans Church. We love you so much today. And I just thank you that, God, even on a Sunday, Lord, that, that Lord, Lord, many people, God, are just uh, uh, ready to encounter you, that you would do something fresh and do something new. We love you, God. Bless the Los Angeles Lakers, Lord. If we can't do nothing this season, Lord, help us next. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, come on, someone say amen. 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 I saw SportsCenter tweeted, they said on Instagram, they said that Lakers now have a .001% of going to the playoffs. And that's what I said. I, I quoted on the wall of Instagram. I said, so you're telling me there's a chance. And uh, bless myself. I wasn't like the greatest student academically growing up. Didn't care a lot about school. My parents got divorced when I was seven. I think one of the ways I acted out was I just thought, you know what, I'm going to check out academically. I actually don't think I was uh, maybe, maybe ignorant or, or, or maybe low IQ. I just think I was kind of non-interested. And then my sophomore year of high school, my mom, she said, you know what we're going to do, babe? She's like, you keep getting these bad grades. Your, your GPA is like single digits right now. It's not 2.0. It's like 0.8. And uh, <clears throat> we want to... Um, we want to make sure that your grades come up, so I'm going to start giving you $25 for A's, $20 for B's, nothing for C's, D's, you pay me $20, and F's, you pay me $25. So my GPA went from like a 0.8 or 9 to like a 3.6 in one semester, and I changed my game around, but I'll never forget in high school, uh, staying up way too late, I don't know if you ever try to do homework late at night, you get delirious, you're living, uh, come on, for Jehovah Java, you're drinking coffee. You're trying to stay awake, and uh, I'll never forget, I think it was my junior year of high school, I was doing a project, to be honest with you, I was trying to remember, I can't remember what the subject matter was, I know it was some sort of writing assignment, and I stayed up late, I did con con conclusive uh, uh, research, I, I read myself thoroughly, I studied myself full, I actually, I, I wrote out all the stories, it was funny, it was articulate, it was, it was animated, I thought that the, the sentences were vibrant, I thought I really did a good job, I was proud of this assignment, I got it done at like 3 or 4 in the morning, woke up the next day, went to school, turned the assignment in, next day, I get my, my, my paper back, and a red writing, how many are scared of the red writing? On the front of my, my report, I'll never forget, I had a really nice teacher, but the teacher wrote something like this. He said, excellent research, phenomenal writing, I love the stories. He said, great, great, uh, great accuracy. He said, but your grade is an F. Wrong assignment. Wrong assignment. I did all of the legwork, I did all of the research, I actually studied, I actually worked my tail off, I did everything that I was supposed to do other than the right assignment. 
I did a paper on a subject that no one else was doing a paper on. And the teacher told me to go this direction, and I went my own direction, and it's interesting because I did everything seemingly right, and I checked every box in my head and in my heart, but the only thing I failed to realize is that everybody else was doing a different assignment. And I realized that many times, I was praying this week, that many of us, if we're not intentional, what we'll do is accidentally in life, we'll be so busy trying to do our own thing that we get to heaven only to wake up to realize, oh my gosh, you did really, really, you lived a really, really good life other than you didn't live out your assignment. Great research, great philanthropy, great charity, great delegation, organization, great leadership. The only problem was is you didn't do what I created you to do. And I really feel like many people are dissatisfied in life, not because life isn't satisfying, but because they're living out the wrong assignments. My gosh, why am I not fulfilled? I have the job I wanted. I'm married to the spouse I wanted. I have the kids that I desired. I, I've taken the trips that I've wanted to go on. I've seen the world. I've, I, I've, I've achieved things uh, naturally, intellectually. I've won awards. I have, I have more degrees than a thermometer, and, and yet and still, I'm still empty. I'm still void. I feel like something's missing. And I really do believe this because I, I fundamentally believe this, that you, you are actually, uh, your career is what you get paid to do, but your call is what you were made to do. And many people, they don't live for their calls, they just live for their careers. And I want you to know that life is bigger than just making dollars. It's about making differences. And there's only two things that you cannot do when you enter into glory and enter into eternity, is you can't, you can't sin... And you can't tell people about Jesus that don't already know him thoroughly. And I believe that one of those reasons is why you and I are still on the earth sucking oxygen. is because there's certain things that we can only do on this side of eternity that we'll never have the opportunity again to do on the other side. Many people think, well, Mark, preaching's for pastors. Evangelism is for evangelists. Prophetic stuff's for prophets. Apostolic stuff's for apostles. Man, you know what? Teaching is for teachers. And pastoring is for pastors. But I want you to know this, that the five-fold ministry listed in Ephesians is actually what every Christian is called to do. I'll be honest, this room is represented with different gifts, different talents, different strategies, different structures. And then what they call it the body of Christ, because when every one of us brings our attribute of the Father together, we make up his body. And when an evangelist gets together with a prophetic person and a prophetic person gets together with a teaching individual and a teaching individual gets together with someone that's pastoral, when we bring our collective attributes of God collectively together, we start looking like Jesus on the earth. And I feel like many people, they're looking for a church like, I don't know, man, the church is empty, it's void. I think it's like a country club, it's a social club. It's, it's basically a luxury cruise line ship. Everyone has their special seats, everyone does their own special little greeting every week. It's just kind of this religious, uh, it's like this religious calisthenic uh, activity every Sunday that they wake up and they go to church. And it's all about making them feel good about themselves. And I believe that Christianity, yeah, you do feel good when you're doing what God asks you to do. But I want you to know that life isn't about spending it just on yourself. The fastest way to emptiness is spending your life just on yourself. Fastest way to being fulfilled is finding out what God wants you to spend your life on and throwing yourself completely into that. Great research, great, great work ethic, great marriage, but just wrong, wrong assignments. 
wrong assignment. I was thinking about the woman at the well. And I love this story. I was going to teach on the uh, title of this series comes out of uh, Luke chapter 10, The Good Samaritan. I'm going to teach on that next week. And the, really the religious, this, this lawyer, really, really intellectual lawyer, comes to Jesus and he goes, he says, teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? Let's say it this way. How can I inherit a significant life? How do you live a significant life? C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that if you aim at eternity in this life, you get earth thrown in. But if you live only for earth, you miss both. And many people are missing eternity because they're only trying to live to gratify this side of eternity. And this, this lawyer is smart enough to go, look, I know that the way that I am supposed to live this life is connected to what I believe about the next life. So he goes, what do I do? The Good Samaritan story, the origins, is from an individual that wants to know how to live life significantly. And he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus rambles off a few facts. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all right, I can, you know, I got that. But he wanted to justify himself. So he takes it a step further and he says, who is my, who is my neighbor? It's funny because usually we're pretty good about understanding loving God. But we have a harder time about identifying, okay, how does my love for God transpire into how I live with other people on the earth? We live in a society today that's much like we're closer to ancient Rome today than we've ever been in any other corridor in history. And I believe that the more that society looks like ancient Rome, the more that the church has to look like the book of Acts. And the closer we get, the closer we get to Bible days back then, we got to have more of Bible power now. And in, in the Roman society, it was a polytheistic culture, which basically means that it wasn't opposed to God. It was that there was little G gods everywhere. Everywhere. Everyone had God. There was household gods. There was city gods. There was uh, like, like, like people group gods. Every region had a different god. And uh, all these different type of worshipful gods. It was so much so, so diluted with uh, idol worship, god worship, that uh, even, even like if you were like in a union, like you were in a union, a, a, a thing called guilds back in those days. But if you were in a guild of like, let's call them, um, uh, what were they called? Uh, blacksmiths you would be in a union with other blacksmiths, there would be gods for even different unions. And society was so laden with different worship view, world views, that literally good protocol would be to walk into any household and to actually bow down and pay homage to the god of that house. And when you went on a trip to another city, you would actually bow down and pay homage to that city's god. And if you, if you became a worker in that, in that work industry, you would pay homage to the god of that industry. And so Christianity comes on the scene, and some of the ancient, is it okay to teach a little bit today? Some of the ancient uh, historians like Josephus teach us that there was no other religious worldview of the day that actually created more chaos and more opposition than Christianity. Because it was the only religion that didn't get along with all the other religions. They were the only people group that said, look, if we serve Jesus, he's above all gods. He's not one of the many, he's above all the rest. I like that phrase. He's not one of the many. He's above all the rest. And listen to me, there was no benefits really outside of Jesus himself to becoming a Christian in the ancient world. It would make, make it harder vocationally. You'd experience persecution. Your family would ridicule you. It was really looked down upon to not bow down to the gods that were in society. And it's interesting that today we don't live in a church-centric society anymore, like 100 years ago, that everybody goes to church. Nowadays, it's looking more like Rome that everybody's worshiping their own things. And everyone's cool with you worshiping your own things unless it's Jesus and Christianity. Yeah. 
You want to be Muslim or Buddhist? We'll applaud you. You want to worship whales or dolphins? We'll applaud you. You want to give away all your money to vacuum research? We'll applaud you. But the moment you take a knee and you pray at a football game, we're going we're gonna to crucify you. The moment you get up at an award show and you give credit to Jesus Christ for winning an acting award, we crucify you. Because listen to me, there is no other religion on the earth that gets the same opposition as Christianity does. Especially in America. We're living in a polytheistic society much like ancient Rome. And we see here that, that there's really no social benefits to Christianity, which poses the question, I'm going to go a little bit deeper than I normally do, why in the world would Christianity go from 12 followers of Jesus, 120 in an upper room, to now 2,000 years later, 31%, according to 2015, 31% of the earth's population's claims that Jesus is the Messiah. That's 2.6 billion people from 120. Let me ask you a question. If there was no social perks to becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, number two questions for you. Why would it grow and how would it grow? Why would Christianity grow if it was a hostile environment? And you could, you could get persecuted, that you could lose your job, that you could have odds with your family. Why would it grow and how? in the world did it go from 120 in an upper room in Jerusalem to 331% over 2.5 billion people on planet Earth? Why and how, you might ask, and that's what I wanna focus in on the next few minutes. There's a woman in John chapter four, she's a Samaritan woman. This is a crazy context because Samaritans were, uh, in, in the eyes of Jewish people, they were half-breeds. And they had no social interactions with Samaritans. They were looked down upon. We don't realize this because we think America is crazy today, but there's way more hostility in the ancient world than there is in this world. There was more barriers with social economic barriers and even religious barriers, and I'll even say this, even racial barriers in that world than this world. In the ancient world, Greeks were divided in four major categories. Romans were pretty much divided in one category. You're either Roman or you're not. And if you're not, we don't care about you. And in the Jewish world, there was divides between Jews that kept the law and those that didn't keep the law. I'm going, is this too deep this morning? I'm sorry, just rambling off some facts. But I want you to know that the world was more divided then than it is now. And Jesus had a way to bring everything together collectively in a world that was full of walls and barriers. Jesus came on the scene and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like, it's kind of like, let me tell you what it's like. It's like a treasure that was hidden in a field that a man accidentally stumbled upon. He wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for him. And when he experienced Jesus, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. And not only is the kingdom of God like treasure hidden in the field that was an accidental discovery, it's like, a, it's like a merchant seeking out precious pearls. And when he finds the precious pearl, he was seeking it out. It was an intentional pursuit. Do you know that everyone in the room is a Christian or not a Christian today because of an accidental discovery or because of an intentional pursuit? And Jesus has this way, and the third thing he says, I think it's in, it's in Matthew like 13, is he says, finally, the kingdom of heaven is like throwing a net into the sea, and it collects some of every kind. It bro broke down barriers because Jesus is the only one that can throw a net into a body of water and doesn't just catch religious people. Doesn't just catch spiritually minded people. Some of the greatest atheist agnostics on the earth will eventually become sold-out believers of Jesus because when his love, his loving net is thrown out, it captures the imaginations of all people groups. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. I love this passage because it talks about a woman, and the story's pretty simple. It, it says that she's at a well, and I could really preach this in a, if I had more time, 
but I want you to know this, that, that the takeaways of this story is, is this woman uh, has an encounter with Jesus. And you might ask, well, how in the world did Christianity spread if there was no social perks? And why did it spread if there was no social perks? And I think that John chapter 4 is a great, it's a great demonstration of how, how the message today can impact the world like it impacted it back then. And here's the points I want you to take away today. I believe that it, it, it impacted the world back then because we see here that she has an encounter with Jesus. And uh, they have this conversation, this dialogue. And I love the fact that Jesus knows her. I want you to write this down. He knows everything about her. And I want you to know this today. I believe that Christianity spread in the early days because people had an encounter with God and they realized that he knows everything about me. He knows everything. And you know what society trains us? Is it trains us to be scared of God. You can write this down. How you see God is how you receive from God. So it's your perception of God that will affect your reception of God. And many of you don't receive from God because you perceive that God is angry, that he's belligerent, that he's mean. We live in a world that says that God knows you, he knows you, but he actually loves you the least. He knows enough, he knows the bad things about you, and because he knows all the worst things that you've done, he loves you the least. He knows the worst and loves the least, but the truth is, is that Christianity grew because people realized that he knows me the best and he loves me the most. How would a message spread if there was no social perks? Because people like the woman at the well said, come see a man that told me everything that I've ever done. Ladies and gentlemen, this woman had a colorful life. She had a, she had a, a little bit of a sketchy life. This woman did not make all the right decisions in a moralistic, in a patriarchal society that was racially divided. This woman has one encounter with God and it breaks down the barriers of religion. It breaks down the barriers of male versus female. And guess what? It even broke down, check this out, it's crazy. It even broke down the barriers of moralism. You've been married five times, living with number six. You try, to, you try to keep it from Jesus. He calls it out. She says, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know what I love about God? Is here's a story that tells us that Jesus has a conversation that he says, I know all the things in your past. I know every mistake you've ever made. But let, guess what? She leaves her water jars, goes into the city, Samaria, and tells everybody in the city. And it says, actually, she told the men which I love the fact, if I had time to preach it, I would, I would go on to pontificate about how the idea is that God actually used the weaknesses in this woman that was loose with guys, who wasn't scared of men, who wasn't embarrassed to go into to, to, to rooms and have people roll their eyes and say, this is that, that one woman that's been everywhere with everybody. God actually redeems her weaknesses and becomes her strengths. I'm telling you, that's what I love about Jesus. He is the only one that can actually turn abuse inside out and turn it into use. Do you know that abuse turned inside out turns into use? And everybody talked bad about this woman. And guess what? She lived so many years of her life not caring what people thought that when she had a God encounter, she was so useful to God. I don't care if you like this message or you don't like this message. He told me everything that I've ever done and I still feel loved by him. This is the message of Jesus Christ, is that he knows me the best, and he loves me the most. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't get that first thought, because faith is it's built on two precepts, is that God is real, and number two, God is good. If you pull the rug out from God is real or God isn't good, we have no gospel message. And this woman goes into a city, she's not scared of men, because she's had a lot of men in her life. And God redeems an abusive past and makes her useful 
for the kingdom of God. And she says, hey, I just met a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been married and divorced five times, you live a crazy, colorful life, I don't know if you'd be proud about someone knowing everything. But for some reason, God's all-sufficient knowledge of her didn't make her feel less. It made her feel like more. That he could love everything, he could know everything about me and still be infatuated with me. And that's why it says in Luke 10, it says, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as your. You know what's interesting is you'll never love other people well until you realize that you can love yourself well. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? You gotta actually love yourself before you can love your neighbor well. And the problem with most Christians in America today is we don't give love well because we don't receive love well. Number two, I want you to write this down. God knows you the best and he loves you the most. And number two, I believe it really starts with God. I receive the love that is actually intended for me. I receive the love, my love that you have, your love for me that you have. That, that's probably the right way to say it. I receive, number two, your love that you have for me. Can I let you know today that God has a specific love for you? Well, God doesn't know my story. I was in gangs. I was, we have a guy in the church that just got out of jail for, for murder. He's been, in our, he's, been, he's been in prison for 20 years. Got out, came to church. First Sunday, he got out of, got out of prison. Came to our church about, about a month ago. He's been here every Sunday since. Gave his life to Jesus, tears streaming down his face. His sister came and got saved. She was Catholic her whole life. Her daughter came and got saved on Super Bowl Sunday. And this family has been radically transformed because, listen to me, they realize that God knows me the best, but he still loves me the most. And I realize that even though my story is unique, God's love is unique for me also. And that he loves me with a specific, tailor-made love because, number three, he has an assignment for my life. I want you to know that God has a specific task for your life. And you can write this down. A career is what you get paid to do, but God's call is what you were made to do. And I'm telling you right now that when you discover the call of God on your life, you'll actually do it in such a way. Uh, I think it's almost like what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell says, find something you love to do. Do it with all your heart. Practice doing it when no one's watching you. And one day, people will pay you to do what only you can do. Passion. My heart breaks for people that are just trying to make a living. And they don't live to make a difference. I'm not sucking air to make a living. I didn't start a church to make a living. Lord knows, if I wanted to make money, I would have gone into another, another profession. My grandma said the pay's not very good, the hours are long, the honor is low, but she always said this, the retirement package is out of this world. <laughs> Ministry. I want you to stand on your feet today, I'm finished. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.